0: Joshua chapter 7, we're continuing our series, crossing into Canaan. Remember last week, we considered the accursed thing. Joshua executed God's plan as directed. The walls of Jericho came down. There was a great victory that day for Israel. Jericho was symbolic of the first fruits, and Joshua had said everything in the city either is going to have to be killed, as was commanded already in Deuteronomy, or as far as the spoils go, they would have to be given to the treasury of the house of the Lord. Nobody was to profit off of the taking of Jericho, everything to be dedicated to God. And so everything was considered a curse in that it was devoted for destruction. They were not to take of it. And if anybody took anything from the city, they would also be accursed. And actually bring a curse upon the whole nation of Israel. Achan just couldn't help himself. He saw a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. And and we didn't get into it, but that's how it works. You see something with your eyes, you begin to covet it, and then you take it into your heart and you hide it. And so um, he just couldn't help himself. He He got that. But one man's sin brought Israel down. That's all it took. And I won't re-preach all of that message last week, but it was a very sobering thought. If you did not listen to it, please go online and do so. But we were talking about how quickly a church can lose its momentum, how quickly a church can lose its momentum when sin enters the camp and it's hidden. So for tonight, let's begin reading Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth Bethaven on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up. And smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor uh, make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So therefore went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebaram, and smote them in the going down, whereof the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So Israel has just come off a great victory before this. They caused the inhabitants of the land to fear because the mighty city of Jericho was taken and God kept His word. Things are going well for Joshua. No doubt morale is high in the camp. Joshua readies Israel for their next battle. The people are... Buying into the vision that God had for Joshua. They can now sense that they are, in fact, going to inherit the land, that things are coming together just as God uh, had said and really just as they had hoped. They know God is on their side. They can take the land. They can sense that great days lie in store for them down the road, really during, but especially after the wars of Canaan. And it's wonderful when a church is in that position. It's a joy to be a, a part of a church when things are happening. It's, uh, it's miserable to be in a dry church. I hate dead church. I hate it. I want nothing to do with it. I want to run from it. I want to be a part of something where great victories are being won by God through His people. Where God's word is being honored and followed, where things are going well for the pastor, where morale is high, and where we're always ready for the next battle. I think we can relate to this somewhat. God has done great things for us. God is doing great things for us. Psalm 126 3 says, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I believe we are honoring God's Word. I believe we are following God's Word to the best of our understanding. And I'm not suggesting that we're perfect or don't have room for improvement, but I believe we love God's Word in here tonight. And I can't speak for you, but I know things have been going well for me. I'm having the time of my life. I think for the most part, morale around here is high, (laughs) it's always dangerous for to assume things and and while we don 't go looking for battles, I believe we are unified enough tonight to go fight the next battle that comes our way. Uh, I just want to tell you tonight i 'm glad to be a part of this church i didn 't say I was glad to be a part of church this church i 'm glad to be a part of liberty, Baptist Tabernacle. We know God is on our side. We sense that we can take the land God has prepared for us. There's a feeling in the air that there's greater days that lie in store for our church if we will just stay the course. What a blessing to serve and fight during days like these. I know I can stand back to back with many in this church. And in fact, I'm honored to serve in this church. What a blessing to serve God together. Amen. Let me just rant for a second. I'm tired of preachers out there who are constantly trying to throw a wet blanket on the work of God. It just gets under my skin. I hear things like, well, you just wait, brother. It's going to happen there one day. Well, I'm sorry your church is miserable, and I'm sorry your church is dead, and I'm sorry you've got no life, but don't get mad at me. I'm happy serving the Lord. I'm happy to be at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. I'm happy for what God is doing. And I don't need some other preacher coming up and saying, here, take this wet blanket and you just sit there and don't get up. Why do all churches have to split? Where's that at in the Bible? Amen, I'd be depressed about it too. I don't see anywhere where we're required to get into the doldrums when it comes to serving the Lord and being part of a church and and where we have to get to the place where coming into the doors of the church is a curse and it's not a blessing and we just assume stay home and we want nothing to do with it. I don't see where God ever says that. I don't see where Christ ever encouraged His church to just hang in there because eventually you're going to mess it up. Come on now. Why, Why can't a church remain unified? Why can't it happen? Why can't a church remain in one accord? Why can't a church see God do great and mighty things? Why can't a church take some ground from Satan and claim it for Jesus Christ? I believe a church can still see revival in the 21st century. Oh, but you don't understand, preacher, the days are going to wax worse and worse and it's just going to get miserable. And and we just need to hold in there and hold the fort because we know He's coming. You know what Jesus said? He said, Occupy till I come. You know what that means? That word occupy doesn't mean that you just kind of sit there and, and hold the fort. Occupy means it's your occupation, that you are working at this thing. And, and listen, I, I'm glad. I don't care if the days get dark. It means the light shines brighter. And I'm just excited for the opportunity we have. It's an exciting day to live in. Is it getting bad out there? Yeah, but it's been way worse. We just get an Americanized view of what's good and what's bad, and, and, uh, but nobody sears lopping our head off. Now, we've seen difficult battles, but I'm not going to stop and have a pity party about it. And, uh, and it's funny because all the preachers say, it's going to happen to you. It is happening. Listen, God's going to make this thing go forward as long as we just keep our focus on Him. And I'm not really worried about all that. It doesn't mean we have to get divided over it. People get divided. And one thing I've always liked about this church going all the way back to 2001, somebody can get mad and leave and they're just the only one that gets mad and leaves. Right? Because everybody else is like, hey, I'm, I'm in this thing. And so it's not like back home where this is the Brooks side of the family and this is the other Brooks side of the family. And when one gets mad, this whole side of the church leaves and starts the second Baptist church and um, all that kind of stuff. And I've been in places where there was a third Baptist church. Anyway, I really do all I can to get people to stay in. And I think you do too. But we can't make anybody obey God. But we can stay Unified. And I'm just telling you tonight, I don't have time for all the naysayers on the outside. I'm not going to be bothered by those who choose to be miserable in ministry and are determined that every other church ought to be as miserable as they are. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. (laughs) Oh man, still praying as I onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground. Don't get distracted by the naysayers. Don't get distracted by those who want to tell you it's, you know, you just hang in there because it's going to get terrible. That doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. Yeah, we're going to have some bump in, bumps in the road. I get that. We're human. We've got to sin nature. And, and I'm going to say something stupid that's going to rub somebody the wrong way. And I, but listen, we don't have to get all sideways about it. And, I, you know, I've learned this. Haters got to hate. That's what they do. Amen. I need one of those posters that They see me rolling. They hating. But I just want to keep pressing for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Whoop Well, let's get back to Israel and AI. So things are going well for Israel. Joshua sends men. From Jericho to gather intel on Ai before they attack that city. And the men return to Joshua and they tell Joshua in verse three, We don't need all the people to go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. I can sense they're telling Joshua, Hey, Joshua, we got this. We got this. We can take this city, no problem. They're smaller than Jericho was and we took that and they're not as fortified. But remember that Proverbs 16.8 tells us pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now remember at this point Joshua does not yet know there is sin in the camp. And we know the main reason they lose the battle at Ai is because there is sin in the camp. And... I think we need to take time, though, tonight to talk about what I'm sure many of you have heard preached from this text, and that is what Joshua didn't do. Isn't it interesting that before they went to battle to Jericho, Joshua was in desperate need of God's help? We found him there kind of overlooking the city. Remember, his eyes were downward as if he was in some sort of meditation about it, deep thought, maybe even prayer seeking God's help to show him how to take this fortified city. He was seeking for the best way of head. He he needed answers. But now against AI, there's none of that. There's nothing. There's no prayer to God. There's no asking God for a battle plan. There's no concern or stress on what's the best way to approach the city. There's no sense that lives hang in the balance. It's as if they all got comfortable with the idea that it's always going to go well for them. But past victories will not guarantee future successes when God is pushed out of the way. How quickly the nation goes from understanding that they need God in all things to be successful to trusting in their own might And the routine of warfare. Let me apply this to our church. It's wonderful to be in the position that I described earlier. But we're heading for disaster when we think we got this. When we start to leave God out of the picture, we're headed for trouble. We'll fall and we'll be defeated if all we do is trust the routine. Listen now. Did you pray for services today? Or did you just trust the routine? Did you just trust that the pastor would have a message ready? Did you just trust that Brother Long was going to pick the right songs that would prepare our hearts? Did you just assume the choir would show up? Did you just assume that those who sing the specials would actually pray about what God would have them to sing? Did you just assume the vans would be ran this morning without incident? Did you just assume that the Sunday school teachers would all show up prepared to teach? Did you just assume that the junior church teachers were prepared? Did you just assume that the nursery workers would would be ready? Did you just assume that the givers would give what God had asked them to give? And here's the main thing. Did you just assume that God would show up? Did you just assume that God's Spirit would move in the hearts of the people? Do you just come in here and assume that the lost will be saved? That the backslidden will be reclaimed and that the servant will be strengthened? And if we aren't careful, we can just settle in to our routine of church. Because this is what we do. We know how to do it. And we can do so without ever consulting God first. And we just kind of take it for granted that the seats are going to be filled, the songs will be sung, the offering plate will be passed around, and that something will be put in it, and that the preacher will preach. After all, it worked last week. Do you just assume people will show up at the press? Do you just assume Brother Foley will show up to operate the press? Do you just assume Brother Petroco will go out on the road to raise funds? Do you just assume that Brother Hollinsworth will preach at the jail and the nursing home? Do you just assume that Brother Brock will show up and lead the academy? Do you just assume that the teachers will be there? After all, it worked last week. I'm asking you tonight are you guilty of just trusting the routine? The routine of church and ministry. Well, we won a victory last week, why should we expect any different this week? And a week goes by, and a week turns into two, and weeks turn into a month, and months turn into a year. A whole year goes by, next thing you know it's been years. Is everybody with me? And little by little, the glory is departing. And Ichabod is being written above the church. A place that was once vibrant and healthy and seeing God do great things and the people were excited for what God might have in store and, and all of a sudden the, the victories begin to taper off. We get in the routine of things. We just assume that it's going to work next time because it worked last time. And little by little the doors of the church are slowly closing until one day we have to sell the property all because we fell into a routine. Are you praying for this church? I mean, do you even get concerned about it Saturday night? Or do we just hurriedly get up Sunday morning, throw our clothes on, and rush to the church house, do our routine, and then we leave? Are you praying for this church? Are you praying for the servants, the ministries, Are you crying out for God to be among us and to work in us? Don't take it for granted what's going on around here. Don't just assume that everything's going to function because it did last week. Don't assume that the altars will be full. Don't fall into a routine. You may be wondering, well, did it really matter in this case? I mean, they had sin in the camp. Look at verses 6 through 13. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell on the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? The Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel cannot stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Up, sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. After there was defeat... After, Joshua rents his clothes, he, he falls on his face before the ark of the Lord, and he puts dust upon his head, and he sounds an awful lot like the generation that had to die in the wilderness. Why did you bring us over this Jordan to kill us? Would to God we had been content just to stay on the other side. And I mentioned last week how sad it is to me that many pastors have laid aside their mantle In depressed defeat, never knowing there was sin in the camp that was the problem. But I reckon that's a sermon for another time and probably another audience altogether. But here's my point in reading those verses What if Joshua had fallen on his face before the battle of Ai? What if he had the same concern over Ai that he had before he went against Jericho? What if he didn't just trust the routine? What if he had prayed and asked God how to defeat AI? Don't you reckon God would have told him, wait a minute, there's sin in the camp. God isn't against his people. And if he would have just sought, if he would have consulted with God beforehand, God would have told him there's sin in the camp. And you're not going to be able to stand against AI until you get that taken care of. And I believe 36 men could have remained alive. Now, I think things are going pretty good around here at the moment. But let's suppose for a moment if all who attend here would get on their face before God and ask him to lead us, allow him to have the preeminence in all things. Can you imagine what would happen? I've been in church long enough to know that many of us just get into the habit of showing up. So what we do, we go to church. But we're to be the church militant, as they used to say. We're to be advancing. And if we would all just cry out to God and not just assume that, well, everything went well last week. um, Let's just assume everything's going to go well next week. But if we would fall on our face and cry out to God, I believe there's no telling what God could do here. Notice what happened when Joshua did get God's battle plan in chapter 8. Bear with me as I read verses 1 through 29. And the Lord had said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. And, and by the way, by this point, if you missed last week, the sin of the in the camp has been dealt with. Um, Achan and his family have been killed, all his possessions. They have been uh, placed in the valley of Achor, rocks upon them. And the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, "'Neither be be thou dismayed. "'Take all the people of war with thee, "'and arise and go up to Ai. "'See, I have given into thy hand "'the king of Ai and his people "'and his city and his land. "'And thou shalt do to Ai and her king "'as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. "'Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof "'shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. "'Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it.' "'So Joshua rose and all the people of war "'to go up uh, against Ai, "'and Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor "'and sent them away by night.' And he commanded them, saying, Behold, ye shall lie and wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but be all ready. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city, and it shall come to pass when they come out against us as at the first, that we will flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they flee before us as at the first, therefore we will flee before them. Then ye shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city, for the Lord your God... Will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be when ye have taken the city that ye shall set the city on fire, according to the commandment of the Lord, shall ye do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them forth, and they went to lie in ambush and abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and numbered the people, and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, went up and drew nigh and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. Now, there was a great valley... Or excuse me, now there was a valley between them and Ai. How about that, Brother Long? And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, went up and drew nigh and and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. And there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, even all the host, that was on the north of the city and their liars in wait on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. And it came to pass, when the king of Ai saw it, that they hasted and rose up early and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people, at a time appointed before the plain, but he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness." And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them, and they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued after Israel. That's why you always close the back door, amen? Close the door when you go out. All right. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. And the ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered into the city and took it and hasted and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people that fled to the wilderness turned back upon the the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned again and slew the men of Ai. And the other issued out of the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they smote them, so that they let none of them remain or escape. And the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass, when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness, wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the cattle and the spoil of that city uh, Israel took for a prey unto themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he commanded Joshua. And Joshua burnt Ai and made it in heap forever even a desolation unto this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. Now, what boy wouldn't want to read that? I mean, just get in the Word of God. That's good stuff. So... We, we see Joshua here, the sin in the camps dealt with, but he hears from God, he gets the battle plan, and he goes and executes that, and there's a great victory that day. And as a result of hearing from God, listening to God, going to God, which he should have done at the beginning, back there at the beginning of chapter 7, now having done that, there's a great victory once again. Things are getting back on track. There can always be victory if we call upon God. There can always be victory. There doesn't have to be dissent. There doesn't have to be division. The hearts of the people don't have to melt in despair. Do you remember when you first started living for God? Do you remember how much you knew you needed God? For you preachers in here, remember the very first time you ever preached? And man, you wanted God's help. You were nervous. You really wanted things to go well and God to be honored. And so you took the time. You cried out to God. You prayed. How about the teachers in here? The first time you ever taught a class, you wanted it to go well and and you cried out to God and, and you can remember that first lesson you taught. You remember how much you knew you needed God then. Remember when you started that new ministry. Remember how you asked God to help. But after several years roll by, We can get complacent because now we've done it. We know how to play. We know how to preach. We know how to teach. And I agree with Oliver B. Green. I can manufacture you a sermon. I've done it long enough to know how to say, what to say, when to say it, when to. And you can just manufacture stuff because we can just get stuck in that routine. And so sometimes we get complacent. We no longer cry out for God's help. And sometimes teachers figure out, you know what, I can just throw this lesson together Saturday night, maybe even Sunday morning, because now I know what it takes to fill an hour of Sunday school time. For others, you've learned how to come to church. Your mouth moves, but you sing half-heartedly. You look like you're paying attention, but you're really not you really could care less to be here. You put something in the plate because we got to look right. You stand when you should. You bow your head when you should. But church ceased to be a time of celebrating God and honoring Him. And I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want us to lose the feeling of needing God. I can imagine if Preacher was here and, and we do have... Uh, Russ Mack with us. Pray for the Luns, by the way. They're snowboarding this year down in Alabama. I asked if they would take me and they said no. But what that must have been like 40 years ago, coming to Rapid City and starting a new church and knowing that you needed God. and, And no doubt, preacher would have cried out for God and asked for Him to bless And 30 years goes by, is there still that same zeal? Don't lose that feeling. If you've gotten to the place where you're now operating without God because you know the routine, then you need to get back to the place where God is your focus. Look with me in Revelation chapter 2 as I close. Revelation 2 verses 1 through 5. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these, sayings, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Notice here that the church at Ephesus, Jesus says they were working. says, I know thy work. They were a working church. They were a laboring church. They were faithful in that they had not fainted, but they had left their first love. We do all those things too. We work. We labor. We're faithful in what we do. Let's never lose sight of our first works. He says, I know you're working, but I need you to return to your first work. And that first work was such a precious time because we were so ignorant in the things of God and, and we didn't know what we were doing and, and we just had to trust God. We had to cry out to Him because we didn't know any better. Totally dependent upon Him. Have you left your first love? We need to repent if needed Return to the first love when love was young. There's something precious precious about those days. I'll save that for another time. Return to your first love tonight. Don't take for granted that what happened last week is going to happen the next week, the next week, the next week, the next week. But we need a fresh anointing of God. We need fresh oil. We need fresh manna. We need to cry out to God. We need to get on our face before God, before every service. And we need to ask for God to do a work in our midst. Join me in prayer.